Uh, just kind of uh, out of curiosity's sake, how many have heard of Adoniram Judson by a show of hands? All right, so quite a few. <clears throat> I got to confess that um, when the list of, of names got sent out, I, I jumped at, at Adoniram Judson because uh, he is uh, one of my favorite uh, Christians from the past and probably uh, the missionary who I admire the most in the work that he did. And so tonight I hope that as we kind of travel through uh, his life and take a look at it that um, he would be someone that you all would uh, admire as well and follow up with. Uh, just to kind of give you a couple of resources before we get in, uh, this book, uh, To the Golden Shore, uh, in my opinion, is a must-read. Uh, the author is Courtney Anderson. I have uh, read this book probably three or four times in its entirety, and each time that I do go through it, I, I walk away and take something else away from it. Uh, so for the past two or three nights, uh, Kristen would every once in a while hear me say, hey, check this out. Um, so some of those things you all will get to hear tonight as well. So uh, let's, let's dive into it. So, uh, the early years. Uh, Adoniram was born on August 9th, 1788. He is the son, or was the son, of Adoniram Judson Sr. and Abigail Judson. He was born in Malden, Massachusetts. And as young Adoniram grew, he, it was very evident early on in his life that he was going to be uh, very smart um, his father was, was a congregational preacher uh, in the New England area and oftentimes would be uh, traveling around the area preaching, searching for a pulpit to fill. And at age three, on one of these occasions where Adoniram Judson Sr. was uh, away searching for a pulpit that he could fill, his mother thought it would be a wonderful idea to teach Adoniram how to read. His father was only gone for a week, but during that time frame, she was able to teach him how to read, specifically the Bible, so that upon Judson Sr.'s return after he had had dinner and sat down by the fire, uh, Abigail promptly put Adoniram in front of him with a Bible and he read an entire chapter out loud to his father that night, much uh, to the liking of the father. At age four, he began to imitate his dad. Oftentimes, he would gather the local children around in the neighborhood, and he would preach to them and sing to them. And the hymn that he would uh, most oftentimes was his go-to to the other children began with these words, Go preach my gospel, saith the Lord. And all throughout, as we go throughout his life tonight, you will see kind of glimpses of God's sovereignty and his providence on Adoniram's life, in particular when he is at age four I don't think he and his wildest dreams would have thought that he would be growing up and doing exactly what he was singing to the other children. But as, as a child, his love was books, solving puzzles, and other various riddles, and he would read anything that he could get his hands on, uh, and oftentimes would collect brain twisters to figure them out. His father would give him puzzles to solve. 
And on one particular occasion, uh, there was a man who gave him a puzzle to solve that this man thought there's no way that this kid is going to be able to figure this out. And he promptly said, I'll give you a, a dollar if you solve this puzzle, which at that time, one dollar was more than what his dad made in an entire day. But Adoniram took the challenge and figured it out. He solved this puzzle, and the man gave him a dollar. So as he, as he grew up, his, his knowledge uh, expanded as well. Uh, so much to the, by the time that he was 16 years old, he had already enrolled at Rhode Island College six days after his 16th birthday, to be exact. <clears throat> And Rhode Island College is, is what we would now know as, as Brown University. But Adoniram excelled in Latin, Greek, math, geography, astronomy, logic, oratory, rhetoric. Young people, am I stressing you out a little bit? Putting pressure on you? Which all of these subjects were basically the foundation of the curriculum that he would go through uh, at the college. He was so well-grounded in all of these subjects that they allowed him to skip his freshman year. So at 16 years old, he entered Rhode Island College as a sophomore. Sorry, young people, I'm putting a lot of pressure on you tonight. But while he was at Rhode Island College, despite his upbringing, despite the fact that um, and that his parents uh, taught him the gospel, they, they taught him doctrine. Uh, while he was away, he met a young man by the name of Jacob Eames. And Jacob Eames would soon become Adoniram's closest friend. And he could be described as amiable, talented, witty, extremely agreeable in person and manners, but a confirmed deist. And deism, uh, just to kind of give you uh, just a brief summary of that, it's a belief in the existence of a supreme being who does not intervene with the universe. So there is an existence of a creator, but he only exists on the basis of reason. He is, instead of this notion that the creator is a supernatural deity who interacts with, with humankind. So it was said of Adoniram that he became as, as great an unbeliever as his friend. So the more that he spent time with Jacob, the more that this worldview was attractive to him and actually infiltrated his heart and his mind. So at age 19, he graduated, and not surprisingly, he graduated first in his class from Brown University. And then two weeks after graduation, he opened the Plymouth Independent Academy. So he opened up a school after he graduated, and he is still a teenager at this point, and wrote textbooks. At age 20, this, this occupation, this life was just not fulfilling for him, and so he closed the academy and decided that he was really good with his writing, and he wanted to go to New York. And his reason for going to New York is he wanted to write for the theater. He wanted to write plays and such. But he knew that this path would not be sufficient for his parents. So he tried to disguise the trip to New York to them. So he told his parents that 
I just want to take a trip to visit our uncle who lives in Albany. And then from there, I want, I want to go see the newly invented steamboat. Maybe hop on it and take a ride into New York City, see the big lights, see a big city. But his father wouldn't let him get away with it that easily. So he began to press the issue to the point where he got Adoniram to break. And he busted out in a rage and basically told his parents that the God that they serve was not his God. So you can imagine his parents were heartbroken. He would spend that entire day arguing with his father and Every argument that his father brought forth in support of Christianity, Adoniram was able to shoot down, so to speak. And so, by the end of the day, his, his father was unable to persuade him or convince him. His father knew that he was right, but he just wasn't sure how he could convince his son. And his son felt proud of his accomplishment that he had shut down his father, whom as a younger child who admired him for, for his knowledge. His mother, on the other hand, kind of took a different approach. She followed him around and was crying, was pleading with him on why he could choose a path like this. Why would you go to New York? That was part one. The second part, she went to her knees in prayer for the salvation of her son. So Adoniram, much to the dislike of his family, he went to New York. But things did not go according to plan when he got there. And so this life that he thought he would have, the extravagant life of New York, writing plays uh, for the theater, turned out that he wasn't really able to sustain a job or get a meal, get money, get anything like that. Uh, and that really disheartened him and kind of broke him uh, to the point where he w began to work his way back. He felt like, well, at this point, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to be a wanderer. But he worked his way back to his uncle's place, and his only plan at that point was, I will take a horse from, from my uncle, and I will begin just, just riding until I, I figure this out. But this is where the Lord would intervene into Adoniram's life. So one night he stopped at a local village, and there was a small inn there. And he asked for a room, but the innkeeper told him that there was only one room available, and it was located right next to a room where there was a young man who was presumably dying. So the owner hoped that the potential noises that this, the, the young man uh, would be, would be uh, blasting out through the night would not disturb Adoniram. Adoniram assured him that, that this would not be the case, so he took the room. But he did, in fact, experience a sleepless night. Between the noises of the young man, the people coming and going from the room, the boards, they are creaking, and also the thoughts that were going through his head. The continual thought all throughout the night was wondering if this young man was prepared for death, if he was ready. <clears throat> 
So the next morning after Adoniram woke up, he rushed downstairs and asked if the young man was all right. Did he make it through the night? The uh, innkeeper informed him that the young man had indeed died. So Adoniram pressed further. Well, who was this young man? And the innkeeper told him that it was a young man from the local college, Rhode Island College, and then proceeded to tell him that it was his good friend, Jacob Eames, but the innkeeper did not know that. Well, as you can imagine, this sent shockwaves through Adoniram. How could this be? So in his moment, this moment, his deistic worldview was, was shattered. So that kind of sent Adoniram into a tailspin. He had a lot of questions, but eventually he worked his way back home, and then he enrolled at Andover Theological Seminary on October 12, 1808, and he was allowed to enter into the seminary as, quote, a special student, end quote. So at this point, he is not yet converted, but his worldview had just been shattered by what he had experienced. So during his time at the seminary, he would spend in time study. He was able to have theological conversations with the two professors that were there. He was able to ask questions, express his doubts, <clears throat> and so much so that, uh, that he would oftentimes spend uh, alone time in a local grove that was near campus. <clears throat> By November of 1808, his doubts began to leave little by little with each visit to the grove. And then by December 2nd, 1808, he was converted to Christ and dedicated himself to God. One writer put it this way, he banished forever those dreams of literary and political ambition in which he had formerly indulged and simply asked himself, how shall I so order my future being as best to please God. So at this point, seeking direction in his life, well, now that I am a disciple of Christ and I want to devote my life to him and what what he pleases for me to do, Adoniram came across a copy, a printed copy of a sermon by a man named Dr. Claudius Buchanan, and it was entitled, The Star in the East, and his text was from Matthew 2. And he spoke about missions to the Far East. And this is what Adoniram later wrote, or wrote in a a letter in September of 1809. I find this first part kind of amusing. He says, Though I do not now consider that sermon as peculiarly excellent, that's every pastor's worst nightmare, It produced a very powerful effect on my mind. For some days, I was unable to attend to the studies of my class and spent my time wondering at my past stupidity, depicting the most romantic scenes in missionary life and roving about the college rooms, declaiming on the subject of missions. My views were very incorrect and my feelings extravagant. But yet I have always felt thankful to God for bringing me into the state of excitement, which was perhaps necessary in the first instance to enable me to break the strong attachment I felt to home and country 
and to endure the thought of abandoning all my wanton pursuits and animating prospects. That excitement soon passed away, but it left a strong desire to prosecute my inquiries and ascertain the path of duty. It was during my solitary walk in the woods behind the college while meditating, meditating and praying on the subject and feeling half inclined to give it up that the, the, that the command of Christ go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature was presented to my mind with such clearness and power that I came to a full decision and thought great difficulties appeared in my way resolved to obey the command at all events. His interest in India and Burma was, was stirred soon thereafter by a book that was written by an English general in 1795, and this book was called An Account of an, of an Embassy to the Kingdom of Ava, and described India and Burma with, with such beauty, described the people with such beauty that it really attracted him to the thought of missions over in India, and specifically the Burman Empire, which was called the Golden Empire. He would wrestle with missions for a few months, and in February 1810, he would pen these words in his journal. He said, it was during a solitary walk in the woods behind the college. Well, I read all that. Put that quote in there twice. But after that, he traveled back to Plymouth for the winter break, and he contemplated how he was going to reveal this secret to his parents. So again, he's got another plan in his mind, and he has to go back to his parents and reveal to them what it is. So upon uh, arriving for winter break back at home, he soon realized that he was not the only one who had a secret to tell. His father had revealed that Dr. Griffin, who was one of his influencers in going to the seminary, would soon become the pastor of the largest church in Boston. And he wanted Adoniram, after graduating, to become his assistant at the church. So no doubt this news was very exciting for Adoniram's family the prospect of him being close to home and close to them. But now it was Adoniram's turn to share with the family his secret. And with much trembling and fear, slowly, he, phrase by phrase, told them that what his plans are, specifically responding to his sister when his sister mentioned how great it would be for him to live nearby he told her, quote, I shall never live in Boston. I have much further to go. So much like before when he had blasted his family's faith, his mother and sister took to tears and tried to desperately change his mind about his thoughts. Why must you go to Burma? Why must you go to the Far East? There are people here in Boston here in Massachusetts, who need to hear the gospel. But his father, on the other hand, remained silent. There was nothing that he could say. He was fulfilling the desires of his dad to 
for him to be a preacher, and he couldn't change his thoughts. So when Adoniram returned to the seminary after the winter break, and he was kind of disheartened and obviously unhappy with having to, to let his family down, he soon discovered that there were four other students who were also interested in missions. And they would form a group what, is, what would be known as the Brethren. That sounds really cool to me. And they would put together a constitution, and it stated these words. The object of this society shall be to effect in the persons of its members a mission to the heathen. Each member shall keep himself absolutely free from every engagement which, after his prayerful attention and after consultation with his brethren, shall be deemed incompatible with the object of this society, and shall hold himself in readiness to go on a mission when and where duty may call. They held each other accountable to this mission to the heathen. So they began forming their plan to get to the mission field. How do we actually make this come to fruition? So this ultimately led the group with Adoniram's lead to drafting a petition that they would take before the General Association of Massachusetts to, in fact, establish a mission board that would support American missionaries, much like what was already established in London or in England with the London Missionary Society. So the five young men were successful in their endeavor, and the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions was established. The Americas had their first mission board sending agency. But even though it was established, there was not any funds available for it to exist yet as a missionary sending agency. So here was step two of the plan. Adoniram uh, was sent to London to visit the London Missionary Society in 1811 to see if they would be open to taking these young men under their wing as missionaries for the LMS. So along the way, Adoniram would kind of get a taste of the kind of suffering that he would endure for the rest of his life. France and England were kind of on the verge of a war at that point. The U.S. and England were also uh, at odds with each other at that point. And he would be captured by the French and put in prison on this boat because he was not able to speak French. He didn't know that language. That was one of the languages that he did not know. And was also put in prison upon landing in Spain. So after some time, he, was, he would be eventually smuggled out of that prison and made his way to England where he was able to, um, to carry out his task before the LMS. And the LMS agreed to take the American missionaries under their wing, but under the condition that the American board would send the supporting funds to them. And this is where a battle sparked between Adoniram and the American board. Because while he was in, in England, he realized that, that uh, England was devoting at that time for that particular year 10,000 pounds for their missionaries to support them. But because of 
what was taking place between the two countries, the American board was not able to really come up with the funds, and they were also worried that war would potentially break out, cause, uh, cause some problems there, and so they kind of pushed it off to the side. They didn't feel like that at that time it was best to send anybody else, so they wanted to wait and do nothing. Well, Adoniram, on the other hand, that just wouldn't fly, and he couldn't wait. So he threatened the board, stating that he would place himself under complete support of the LMS if nothing was done. And as a young man in front of this general association and this board of of older gentlemen, well, tensions escalated and it kind of exploded. After things calmed down, the, the board decided that they would indeed support and send the young men as missionaries. And so the, the established salary for a married couple would be $666.66. And for, yeah, I kind of looked at that number too, had a double glance. For unmarried persons, it would be $444.45. I guess they didn't want all fours there uh, like they did with the sixes. So in the middle of all this, Adoniram had met the lady who he deemed would soon become his wife, and her name was Anne Hasseltine. Her name, was, she was known to others as Nancy, and she caught Adoniram's attention one afternoon while he was attending a dinner at the Hasseltine home, quickly determined that she was going to be his wife, and he made his intentions known right away, actually one month later than when they met in a formal letter to her. Needless to say that her initial response was not that encouraging, but it wasn't a flat-out rejection. The door was left open, so Adoniram took it a step further. He penned a letter to her father asking for permission to marry his daughter, and I want to read for you the letter that he wrote to her dad. Young men, pay attention. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjugation to the hardships and sufferings of the missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing souls, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with a crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved, through her means from eternal woe and despair? Wow. Needless to say that It left her father speechless. But ultimately, he let Nancy make the decision. 
It was not one that he made for her. She agreed, and they were married on February 5th, 1812. The very next day, Adoniram would be ordained, and then later that month, he, his new wife, and three other couples set sail for India. The journey to Burma, ultimately, it would be a long and a grueling process. This was 1812 when they left the United States, and along the way, um, they, when they finally did make it to, to India, uh, it turned out that the East India Company was not going to allow any more missionaries into India, specifically Americans, uh, and so they refused. So they had to figure out, where are we going to go? So they would then basically spend the rest of 1812 and 18, the early part of 1813 sailing around the Indian Ocean to various islands. And during this process, something changed in Adoniram's life. He knew that when he would get to India that William Carey, who was also a Baptist missionary, would, would be there waiting but Adoniram grew up a Congregationalist, and Congregationalists believed in infant baptism. That was going to be a problem, and he knew it. So on the way, he thought, oh, well, I need to be convinced of my position because that's going to come up. So during this travel time, he took to the Scriptures and to study what the Scriptures said about baptism but he couldn't find anywhere in the Scripture his view for infant baptism. He brought Nancy into the, to the conversation, and it, it dreaded her because she told him outright up front, she was like, I am not going to become a Baptist, flat out. And she hoped that along the way that he would drop the subject. But he continued on and was convicted um, of baptism by immersion. So when they landed in India on September 6, 1812, they both were baptized. They would finally get to Burma in July of 1813, and they would settle in the city of Rangoon. So Adoniram would describe Burma and the gravity of the situation and of the task in a letter to a friend in 1816 later on. He said this, the climate is good, better than any other part of the East, but it is a mostly filthy, wretched place. Missionaries must not calculate on the least comfort, but what they find in one another and their work. However, if a ship was lying in the river ready to convey me to any part of the world I should choose, and that too with the entire approbation of all my Christian friends, I would prefer dying to embarking. This is an immense field. And since the Serampore missionaries have left it, it is wholly thrown on the hands of the American Baptists. If we desert it, the blood of the Burmans will be required of us. Living conditions were less than ideal. His third wife would describe it this way, their house. We were blessed with our full share of cockroaches. Not sure how I would start it that way. Beetles, lizards, rats, ants, mosquitoes, and bedbugs. With the last, the woodwork is all alive, and the ants troop over the house in great droves. Perhaps twenty have crossed my paper since I have been writing. Only one cockroach has paid me a visit, but the neglect of these gentlemen has been fully made up 
by a company of black bugs about the size of your little finger. But Adoniram and Nancy, they quickly immersed themselves into the culture at Burma. They would hire a teacher within a few days, and it, needless to say, got off to a rough start because the Burmese language was unlike anything that they had ever experienced. They finally got to a point where they would just point at an object, and their teacher would say what it is, and then they would repeat that back. And so they made some progress that way. They continued this until they got a firm grasp on the language. Adoniram worked with a teacher on word lists and grammar once he was able to get the language down, and then this became his task, to translate the Bible into the Burmese language. He was soon joined by another missionary by the name of George Hugh, who would be his printer. And so they would write tracts and other materials. Nancy wrote a catechism, and they began printing these and just passing them out. The goal was to pass out as many materials as possible and just get something into the hands of the Burmese people to read. But ultimately, the task was to translate the Bible its entirety. And he would begin with Matthew's Gospel. So Adoniram, Nancy, they built relationships with many of the locals, but the first few years were rough for them, the first six years to be exact. Fishing for men turned out to be a real difficult problem. They would meet people, converse with them. They would seem like they would be interested in Christianity, but then ultimately would disappoint the Judsons. So Adoniram took to the task of building what was called a zayat, which was a common building in villages. They would be a place for travelers to stop, to converse, but they also were kind of like the church in the village. So he built, built one of those in hoping to draw people in and was able to have his first worship service on April 4th, 1819. A normal day for him would be to spend it sitting in the Zayat, hollering out at people as they pass by, inquiring them to come and to ask about uh, the religion. And one particular man by the name of Mong Nao visited him frequently. And then May 5th, 1819, Judson penned these words. He says, I begin to think that the grace of God has reached his heart. He expressed sentiments of repentance for his sins and faith in the Savior. The substance of his profession is that from the darkness and uncleanness and sins of his whole life, he has found no other Savior but Jesus Christ. Nowhere else can he look for salvation, and therefore he proposes to adhere to Christ and to worship him all his life. It almost seems too much to believe that God has begun to manifest his grace to the Burmans, but this day I could not resist the delightful conviction that this really is the case. Praise and glory be to his name forever. And then just a little over a month later, on June 27th, he wrote these words, We proceeded to a large pond in the vicinity the bank of which is graced with an enormous image of Gadama, which is the Buddha. And there administered baptism to the first Burman convert. Oh, may it prove the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue uninterrupted succession to the end of time. But then soon after that, the, the missionaries faced troubles between local officials 
people who were hostile to uh, Christianity. England and Burma were at odds. There was rumor of war, so tensions grew to the point where Adoniram felt that it was necessary to go and and plead his case before uh, the emperor, that he would be allowed to stay and spread Christianity. But the emperor rejected his plea. So the original thought was that they would relocate to an area uh, under British control away from the emperor where they would not face persecution. But his, uh, his small congregation, which was only three at that time, by that point, convinced him otherwise to stay. They told him, stay until a little church of ten is collected and a native teacher is set over it. And then if you must go, we will not say nay. In that case, we shall not be concerned. This religion will spread itself. The emperor cannot stop it. So soon after, seven more Burmans were converted, and they did, in fact, reach their little church of ten. But the Judsons decided to stay. And with staying, several trials came along the way, but they also experienced some small victories as well. First, the victories... Eventually, a man named Jonathan Price came who was from England, and he was a very skilled physician and was able to, uh, to perform tasks to the Burmans to, to give them medical aid that they were not used to seeing, and they were uh, greatly excited. So this news got to the emperor, and he wanted to meet this man. Well, he didn't know the language yet, so Adoniram got a second visit to the emperor. And when the emperor asked who Adoniram was... He told him flat out, I'm a teacher of religion and am spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bracing for another rebuke from the emperor, but it didn't come this time. So he left excited, and for the next uh, couple of years, he was freely proclaiming the gospel in the capital city of Ava. As for the, chi- the trials that they would experience, they had already lost a firstborn son and they would lose another, but Nancy would become seriously ill to the point where she was sent back to the United States for a couple of years. Well, upon return, war then broke out between England and Burma. So the emperor decided at that point that all Western white men were spies, and all of them had to be placed into prison. So Adoniram was drugged from his home in front of Nancy and taken to what was called the death prison. So life in the death prison was brutal. He and his fellow missionaries were tortured each and every day. They were at one point, uh, the jailers were at one point convicted murderers. And the way that they avoided the death penalty is they agreed to be the jailers. So they were under, under supervision of convicted murderers. Adoniram and all, he would spend 19 months in the death prison and in another prison in a secluded village outside of Ava. Nancy devoted these entire 19 months to keeping Adoniram alive. It was a two-mile track back and forth between the death prison to her home. She every day would plead with any and every local official that would give her an ear about keeping her husband alive and releasing him. She fought for uh, better living conditions for him while he was in prison. She took him food. She took him gifts. 
And she did this each and every day. When he was moved to the second prison, that was a four-mile journey. And she did that as often as she could. And she even did this while she was pregnant and then after the birth of another child. Adoniram would be released in 1825, much to the efforts of, of, of his wife, but also uh, the war was coming to an end and they needed a translator. And so they brought Adoniram to be the translator over the peace negotiations when the war came to an end. But this wouldn't be the end of their suffering. Soon after, because of the last two years, they had finally taken a toll on Nancy And while Adoniram was away, he received a letter. And simply put in this letter were these words from the writer. To sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words, Mrs. Judson is no more. Soon after, his little girl Maria would also die. And these events would send Adoniram into a deep depression for about a year. They had moved from uh, Ava at this point. They were located in another area, and he erected a little hut in uh, the tiger-infested jungles and called it the Hermitage. He dug a grave beside the little hut and would sit either beside it or in it, contemplating his own death. The missionaries obviously were very worried about him. He did this for about 40 days. But as time pressed on, He would emerge from this dark place with a a fresh determination and a zeal for Burma for Christ, to reach Burma for Christ. So he and the missionary couples began evangelizing a people group known as the Karens. And they were more open to the gospel than the Burmese people were. They craved his writings and sought to know, know more about this gospel that Adoniram was preaching He would also occasionally go back to Rangoon, where they originally landed, to spend time there until his welcome was worn out, and then he would would come back. But it was noted at one point while they were in Rangoon that some people were asking, are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. So overall, the 1830s was a very fruitful time of ministry for Adoniram. In the first nine years, they only baptized eight converts. But the first five years after the war, there were 242 Burmese converts and 113 foreign converts. By the year 18, or in the year 1831 alone, there was 217. So by the end of 1831, there were about 373 total converts. He traveled all over Burma and found pockets of disciples in which he would encourage them, teach them, correct them when necessary. And then in 1834, his original task of translating the Bible into the Burmese language would finally be complete. And on January 31st, 1834, he would pen these words. He says, Thanks be to God. I can now say that I have attained... I have knelt down before him with the last leaf in my hand and imploring his forgiveness for all the sins which have polluted my efforts in this department and his aid and future efforts to remove the errors and imperfections which necessarily cleave to the work. 
I have commended it to His mercy and grace. I have dedicated it to His glory. May He make His own inspired word now complete in the Burman tongue, the grand instrument of filling all Burma with songs of praise to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He would go back and revise it, and ultimately, by 1840, it was ready to be printed and distributed. He would also remarry. He married his second wife. Her name was Sarah Boardman, who was the widow of, uh, of, of another missionary gentleman who had died in Burma, and she stayed behind. They would have eight children, and five of them would live to see adulthood. Ultimately, she got very ill and needed to go back to the United States, and Adoniram would be by her side in 1845 when she passed away. So when they got back to the United States, Adoniram felt that it was best to, to find uh, a place for the children to stay, uh, so that way they would not have to endure uh, the harsh climate and conditions of Burma. And then he met his third wife in the United States, and her name was Emily Chubbuck. They would be married, and then they would travel back to Burma in 1846. That's where Adoniram felt that he needed to be. He had unfinished work to do, and his task now was to complete a dictionary. So that way, communication between the English and the Burmese would be better for the missionaries who were there and for the future. So he would devote his final three and a half years to this cause. And then uh, in late in 1849, he would become deathly ill. And then 18, in 1850, on April 12th, while he was at sea, Adoniram would die. Overall, he outlived two wives, seven children, and every missionary couple that originally made the journey to Burma in 18. 12. So his legacy. So at the time of his death, outside of his liter literary work, he left behind 100 churches and over 8,000 8, Burmese Christians. His translation of the Bible remains the most used by the people in Myanmar today, which is modern-day Burma. Each July, the Christians in Myanmar celebrate Adoniram Judson Day as a reminder and a remembrance of his arrival in Burma. Today, Christianity is the second largest faith in Burma behind Buddhism. About 8% of Burmans are Christians, even though uh, it is a very hostile area for Christianity and for Christians today. And he was ultimately the spark in a movement among Baptists towards missions over the last couple of hundred years, which we reap the benefits of that with NAM and the IMB. So I know that over the last 45 minutes or so, I've just unloaded a lot of information uh, uh, to you about Adoniram's life, but I want to throw this out, out here for, for you guys in these final few moments. Um, but the application. So what can we take away from Adoniram's life for us today? Never give up. Never give up. 
So perseverance. What else? Yes, sir. Hmm. What else? Amen. The gospel is worth the sacrifice. Hmm. Anything else? Yeah.
That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing. Man. Anything else? All right. I do want to leave you with one final thought. Um, Adoniram uh, would frequently write letters home, and in one of those, he wrote these words. And they have stuck with me ever since the day that I I read them. He says, The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. And just thinking about our life here, I would say the motto of every Christian towards the gospel ought to be devoted for life. So I hope that... uh, that you guys have in, have enjoyed this tonight. I, I would encourage you to look further into Adoniram's life, read some of these resources, and be challenged um, by his faithfulness to the gospel uh, as well. So let's let's pray. Father, again, thank you for um, for your faithfulness in the lives of your people, your sovereignty, and your providence. As we look back over this particular man's life and mission work, even here in the state of Kentucky, we have evidence of that fruit. So Lord, I pray that 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 would motivate us to take the gospel to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, right here in Fisherville and Louisville, Kentucky. May this be our mission field, and may our motto be devoted for life. Lord, thank you that you allow us to be a small part of your glorious work, and ultimately may you be glorified in it, and may we one day in heaven be able to rejoice with every nation around your throne. We thank you for that, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.